Six or seven years ago, I got the opportunity to baptize someone for the very first time. I was really excited uh, when this time came. I was really nervous when this time came. I was hoping that I was not going to drown them. I was hoping that I was going to say the right words to the crowd and that I was going to say the right words to them as well. But it was overall an exciting time in my life and in theirs as well. I remember this person, they had been here uh, at this church for a year or two or so. I can't remember the exact numbers on that. Uh, But they were very involved with the church. Uh, They were coming every Wednesday. They were coming every Sunday. Um, They were uh, desiring and one day asked if they could be baptized. And I remember I met with them in my office and we went through the gospel and they were able to explain that to me. And so I baptized them and about a year or so after their baptism, I began to see them sort of begin to step away a little bit from the church. And the question all of a sudden becomes in my mind, okay, what's going on, right? What's happening? They're not coming on Wednesdays anymore. They're coming maybe every other Sunday. And then all of a sudden, a few months after that, I had gone to them and I had talked to them about it and everything's great, everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, guess what? They're not coming any longer. And so I remember I had called them, I had uh, talked to them, I had seen also on uh, Facebook as well and just other social media outlets to where it seemed like their life was, they were just sort of in a, a dark place, just not in a good place at all. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, wait, here's a person who was very involved. Here's a person who I ultimately ended up sort of giving my stamp of approval on, and now they're stepping away from the church. What is happening here? Now the question became, are they even Christian? And that was a tough thing for me. And it's not the first time that it's ever happened. But something that I had to begin to question is, and a question that sort of came to my mind is, are they persevering in the faith? Because we know and we see through scriptures that, a, that as evidence of our faith is perseverance. And so ultimately, I don't know the answer to that question for this person. That's between them and the Lord. But I know at least um, from what I can tell right now, they're not going to another church somewhere. They didn't move away and are attending a church there. They're just not a part of one anymore and want nothing to do with the church. And so I ask you today, are you persevering in the faith? Turn with me, if you will. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to be going through verses 12 through 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. I know some of you are saying, well, we've gone through Hebrews before, right? Brian did a whole series on that. I see some of you smiling. You were thinking the same thing. And you're right. But I know some of you in here, you've probably forgotten about it. Or you need just to hear a different perspective, right? And so Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19 is found on page 1002 of your pew Bibles, the black Bible that is there in front of you. If you do not own a Bible or you need one, uh, you're more than welcome to take that Bible in front of you home with you as a gift from us here at Perimeter Road as we continue to try to purify the church and penetrate the culture here in Valdosta, Georgia and beyond. Stand with me if you will. Let's go ahead and stand up as we read God's word. 
Big three, little 12 through 19, that's how I tell my son. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedience? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You may be seated. Now in this, a couple of things that I'd like to explain. I, I believe that the author of Hebrews is Paul. That is up for great debate. And that is not the reason that I am preaching today is to debate that. But I'll just say the author, just for matter of argumentation, that the author of Hebrews, uh, earlier in chapter 3, what he is trying to explain is he is talking to the Hebrews who are Christian. He's talking to those who are coming out of Judaism, and he is essentially explaining in chapter 3 that Jesus is greater than Moses. So if you can imagine with us just for a second, here is sort of this heavyweight, here's sort of this all-star in the Jewish faith, Moses, and now he's saying, hey, there was this man that came, that lived, that is the living God, that was resurrected, that died, buried, resurrected. He is greater than Moses. And so he was trying to get them to remember, hey, I know you know a lot about that guy. I know you respect that guy, Moses, but guess what? That guy who came later on, he's greater than him. And he ultimately, he was God. And so now later on in chapter three, he is exhorting them, he's telling them, he's encouraging, encouraging them of this as they continue on. So it says there in verse 12, what does it say? It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Notice it says brothers there, so he's talking to the Christians, as I had mentioned earlier, okay? Brothers and sisters in Christ, and it says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, when I read that, if you sort of think into that a little bit and you hear that, you're all of a sudden maybe thinking, wait, he's talking to Christians there, at least he calls them brothers or sisters in Christ, but yet at the same time he's saying, take care of what? not to fall away from the faith. So does that mean all of a sudden that they can lose their salvation? Is that what that means? And essentially what there is here, there's three camps, at least three camps that I'm going to talk about, okay? There could be some more divisions of these, you know, but I'm just going to talk about three main ones, okay? And I'm going to tell you which one I line up with. I'm okay with that, right? But at the same time, I want to make sure I understand, you understand just a little bit about these camps, but this is not the point of my sermon either. So I'm not going to go into great detail with them. But essentially, the first camp that we have here is the camp that says you can lose your salvation. You can become a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet at the same time, you can lose that, and then you can sort of gain it back again, okay? You can sort of go back and forth with that. Now, I do not agree with this camp, okay? I'll make that clear, all right? I do not believe that you can be plucked from the Father's hand, all right? I, I believe that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, 
And so therefore, once you truly are saved, a follower of Jesus Christ, I do not believe that you're going to go in and out of your salvation. You didn't do anything to gain it, but have what? Faith, which is not considered a works. So therefore, you're not going to do anything to lose it. Or it may be that you just never what? Originally had it, right? So the next camp that is here, now this is the second one of three, is the once saved, always saved camp. Now this is the camp that I used to be in, all right? And this camp right here is the camp that some of you in here may be in. Some of you may be in the first camp. I don't know. But this camp right here is one that if you take it to an uh, extreme or if you take it down a wrong road, all of a sudden what ends up happening is you begin to trust in the uh, testimony maybe that you gave when you were 12 years old or the baptism that you had when you were 16. And then all of a sudden your life after that, guess what? Looks nothing like a Christian. You say, you know what? I'm good. I got my fire insurance back then, and so I don't need to worry about living my life like the Bible tells me to live it, right? That's the way that you can sometimes take this camp right here if you take it down a wrong road. But then there's this third camp, and this camp, I would say, is once saved, forever following. And this is the camp believes as well that you cannot lose your salvation, once you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be plucked from the Father's hand. And therefore, guess what? You will continue on till what? The end. Now, in this camp, does that mean that you will have sin still in your life? Absolutely. But at the same time, when you do have sin, what are you going to do? Repent, repent, right? I say it in a funny way just so you remember because we've got to do it all the time, right? You've got to turn from that sinfulness and go back to the living God and begin to live for him like you should. Now, a question that always comes up in these camps is, okay, well, how long maybe is this backsliding happening that you're struggling with sin? That's a legitimate question, and I don't know the answer to that question. So it may be that you're struggling with it for a little while, but then all of a sudden you end up coming back. But I do know that if you continue to struggle with it and you never get out of it, guess what? You never were actually a believer. It may have looked real good, right? You may have liked everything about the church for a little while, but then all of a sudden you found something greater than the church, right? Maybe you found the Moseses of your world and then you decided to turn and go back to them. I don't know what it is, but I'm just saying, if you never come back to the Lord, guess what? You never were truly a believer. So guess what that means? We have to, as Christians, persevere. And so are you persevering in your life? So when he's talking here, he's saying what? Take care. Look out. Be on guard, brothers. Lest there be any of you, uh, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Notice what he equates, equates the unbelieving heart to evil. It's sinful, it's heinous. A lot of times, we, I think we need to take that word sin and replace it with evil because that has a little bit better connotation of the way that God views it. At the very bottom, at the very core, at the very center of our unbelieving heart, what does it do? It is a machine that just produces sinfulness. 
When we, even as Christians, don't believe, what do we do? We produce sinfulness in our lives. We produce evil in our lives. And so notice, listen here, he is talking to Christians when he is saying this, okay? And what does he tell them to do? Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that does what? That leads you to fall away from the living God. That evil, unbelieving heart can lead you to fall away from the living God. Now, I would say if it leads you to fall away from the living God, then you never actually were saved. You were wolves in sheep's clothing. You had all the right answers because you had it up here, but it never made it here. And notice here when it says leading you to fall away from the living God, that translation there of living God, he's referring to Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, he mentions the word living God. Jesus, who ultimately is God, that came on this earth, that walked around, that was fully man, fully God. He is the living God. So that's a reference back to them. So they would have known what he was talking about there than he was talking about Jesus. And then it continues on and it says, but exhort one another every day. So take care, brothers, lest you have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you in this way. But guess what you need to be doing? You need to be exhorting each other every day. And notice he is talking not just to the pastors. He's not just talking to the priests. He's not just talking to the church staff, but he's talking to every single person in this room that considers themselves a Christian. We need to be exhorting each other every single day. What does it mean to exhort? It means give aid. It is a word that is used for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, he's called our helper, he's called our comforter, that's the same word that is used there with exhort. And so we need to be doing that with each other every single day, all of us here in this room. We need to be lifting up, we need to be edifying. So many times in these moments in this time, what ends up happening? We see a brother or sister that's struggling in sin, and what do we do? see someone's over there. Oh my goodness. Joe Crow. Seriously. Did you see what he was doing? Right? That's what we say, isn't it? Instead of doing what? Going to them, talking to them about it, using grace and love and trying to help them out of this. You know what it's a picture of? I think about this as a picture of the prodigal son. Think about this. We all probably know the story, the majority of us in here. The wayward son, he had squandered everything. He was sitting there in the pig slop. He was eating the food that the pigs ate. And what happened? There's a beautiful moment there that happens. It says he comes to himself. He lifts his head up and what? He remembers that his dad's servants, what? Are way better off than he is. And so in that moment, when I say that we exhort, essentially what we are doing is we are lifting the person's head out of the pig slop and we're pointing them to Jesus. We're saying what you are eating, what you are feasting on is crap, essentially. And Jesus has something so much greater for you. That's what we're saying. We're pointing them to Jesus. Instead of going and doing what? Talking about them. 
And notice how does it say to do it? It says do it every day as long as it is called today. Now today is in quotations from Psalm 95. And he had mentioned that in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3. But what does he mean that by that? He means while you have the opportunity. How many times do we maybe see somebody who needs to be lifted up, who needs to be edified, who needs to be exhorted, and what do we do? Uh, uh, I'll do it tomorrow, right? And then it never ends up actually happening, does it? So while you have the opportunity, you need to take that opportunity while it is today. That's what it's saying here. And it says that none of you, as it continues on, uh, verse uh, 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When I think of that word hardened, it makes me think of wax. And when you put a flame to wax, what does it do? It softens it, right? Even to the point of where it liquefies it. But then when you take the flame away, what ends up happening? It ends up hardening again, right? And so in a sense, when you're exhorting someone, you're putting someone's feet to the fire. Not in a negative way, but in a positive way, in a good way, in the fact that you're just trying to restore them to Christ. You're trying to show them that there's something so much better than the pig slop that they are eating. You know, another thing that I think about when I I uh, see this and this deceitfulness of sin. It's one of those things that your heart can be hardened by it as you continue in it. Um, I know when I went on my first mission trip, I was actually in college. I went to China and uh, my first international mission trip. And I remember when I went on that trip, I had to get nine shots. I had to get nine shots. I had to get Japanese encephalitis. I had to get hepatitis A, B, C, D, E. I had to get a CPAC, DPAC. I don't know what all they were. Okay, I was just told I needed to get them, right? And they all had series and they all hurt and everything else, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I was one of those kids that literally, and I'm okay with saying this, I had to hold my mom's hand when I went to the, to the uh, doctor, right? And I was kicking and screaming as they stuck that needle in my derriere, right? I hated it, absolutely hated it. My son Bauer, he just stares at them while they do it. It's weird. I wasn't that way right? I was not that way at all. I remember just the other day, Jay Haskins and the staff, by the way, was giving me a hard time about not giving blood. I usually go on a mission trip during the year that doesn't allow me to give blood, but Lebanon is not one of those countries, so I was able to do it. I didn't realize that as I'm giving that excuse, but Jay knew that, and so he's making fun of me for not giving blood. It's all right. I own it, all right? Take my man card, do whatever you want. I'm not doing it, okay? It scares me to death. I'll pass out, and it's going to be a bad day for me, but I had to get nine shots. And by the way, I'm just a side note here. I grew up with a doctor, Dr. Austin. I don't know how many of you knew him. God rest his soul. He didn't believe in pills, okay? He didn't know what pills were. You went in there, he was giving you a shot. I don't care if it was just a physical for some sports exam. You were getting a shot, all right? And I think that's the reason I have that. I remember my mom telling me, oh, nothing's going to happen to you today. Next thing I know, I got this big shot sticking in my butt. And I don't like that. I'm dead serious, too. It scared me to death. But anyways, go on from that, right? So here I am, supposed to go on this mission trip, get nine shots. I thought to myself, well, maybe God is not calling me to go on this mission trip. Maybe I do not need to go, right? 
but I'd already put a down payment down, so now I'm struggling here, lose my down payment. Okay, I'll get the shots. So I get the first couple of one, and what ends up happening? They hurt. I don't like them. Thankfully, she did not give them to me in my derriere, right? She gave them to me in my arm. But as I got the first couple of ones, and they stung and they hurt, okay, all of a sudden, as I got to the seventh, eighth, and ninth one, I realized that they were not hurting as much. And I was like, you know what? I think I could do this again. Not too bad, you know? I've had so many now. Like, I can do this, right? Then, of course, you don't have them again for a while, and it happens all again. But the same thing with the deceitfulness of sin and the hardening of heart can happen as well. You struggle with that sin once, and what happens? ah, Right? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. It hurts a little bit. But then all of a sudden, what do you do? Like a dog returns to his own vomit, you return back to that sin. You give into it again, and then all of a sudden what? Ah, doesn't hurt too bad this time, right? And then you return to it again and again and again, and each time what's happening to that heart? It's getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And eventually it gets to the point to where what? Oh, man, you don't, may not even be recognizing it. Maybe somebody needs to come around you and tell you about it, right? Or you need to repent and turn from it, right? And so that's why we've got to make sure that when we're talking about this sin, we understand how uh, terrible and wretched it can be. And we don't need to continually give in to it. And then it continues on, verse 14. What does it say? It says, for or because we have come to share in Christ. Now, some translations say that we are partakers of Christ. Basically saying for or because we need to be exhorting people and we need to not give into that deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because we are Christian. That's what it's saying, right? But there's an if clause that comes up right here, right? You see that comma and the if clause? What does it say? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you what? Persevere. And evidence of your faith is perseverance. Perseverance does not save you, just like works do not save you, but is an evidence of the faith that you have. So what's happening here is essentially that if you do indeed hold strong to your original confidence to the end, then you are partakers of Christ. You are those who have come to share in Christ. But if you don't, then obviously the other side of it is that you are not. Are you persevering in the faith? And let me tell you something just for a second, okay? Just because you're sitting here in church today, just because you come to church on Wednesdays, just because you lead a community group, doesn't necessarily mean that you're persevering in the faith. Let me be clear on that. Because we can have all the wrong reasons for doing all of those things. That's why it tells us what at the very beginning? To take care, to take heed, to be on guard, to examine your hearts. What's the reason that you're doing those things? Is it because you just want to be puffed up in it? That's the wrong reason. What's the reason that I'm up here preaching today? Is it just because I want you to tell me good job afterwards? That's the wrong reason. What's the reason that I'm coming to church? Is it because I just want to hang out with a bunch of other people? Guess what? That's the wrong reason. Ultimately, the reason becomes what? The glory of God and enjoying him forever. 
Any of the other reasons, you can just cut them away because they're just extras, right? They're not the main thing. Yes, they may be a result of that, but that's not the main thing. But so many times we get stuck on those other reasonings, those worldly reasonings, those sinful reasonings, or maybe it's because tradition. Well, my parents have always come to church, so I'm going to come too. But I made a profession of faith when I was 12, so therefore I'm good, right? But I don't have to let my life look like that at all. Right? You know those people. You might even be those people. So you've got to do what? You've got to take care. You've got to take heed. You've got to examine your hearts and make sure that you are persevering to the end. There's a book that came out called Generation Z. I'm not, I'll just preface this with, I'm not a huge fan on these little trendy books, uh, but I did read part of this book. And one thing that it talked about uh, it talked about how a uh, generation from basically high school to college, how they're going to be one of the first generations that has ever grown up uh, not having sort of church as their norm, uh, not having parents that go to church on a regular basis. They're going to be this sort of lost generation that doesn't have that common occurrence like anybody who's my age or older would have had growing up. And you know, this book is sort of talking about it in a way that, oh my goodness, this is a terrible thing. And I, and I can understand that, right? I can understand that it probably is a bad thing not to have people coming to church. But also I know the, the struggles that could happen with my generation and older is the fact that uh, everybody went to church. So now all of a sudden we all think that we're Christian because we're all going to church, right? Which is not the case either. I mean, I've heard that so many times in the office when I've asked people to explain the gospel to me. They tell me that they're a good person and they go to church, and that is their answer. And so I can see where our generation has their struggles, and our Generation Z is going to have their struggles. But the one thing that I've noticed about Generation Z is that if they're here at the church, guess what? They're probably here because they actually want to be here not because their parents have forced them to be, not because traditionally that's what you're supposed to do, not because they're trying to get more customers for their business, but because they believe in a living God, or at least they're interested about that God. And so it's interesting because I think it's a good thing. When I ministered down in St. Pete, Florida, man, that was not the Bible Belt. Those people would tell you if they didn't like Christ or they didn't care anything about the church, and it made it easy for me. At least I knew who I was dealing with, right? Here, everybody's a Christian. I can go to a person who hadn't been to church in years and they're going to tell me they're a Christian because they went one time back with their family years and years ago. So it's, in a sense, it makes it easier, doesn't it? It says, so if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Verse 15, it says, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, that's a reference back to that Psalm 95. He's referencing again. He had said it earlier, okay? And he's just there giving another example from Psalm 95 of that hardening of your heart. And then he continues on and says what? Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Now, you're going to see a series of questions, and then you're going to see the answers of those questions with another question, okay? It's weird, but it sort of does that a few times where it asks a question, and it'll ask another question, and the answer to the previous question is within that next question, okay? So for uh, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? 
Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he uh, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were what? Disobedient. So here we are seeing for who those who heard and yet rebelled, it was those who left Egypt who were led by Moses. Who provoked, and that he right there that is talking about is talking about God. Who provoked God for 40 years? Can you imagine with me for a second provoking God for 40 years? Causing God to go in righteous anger, right? Because there is no sin in God, so the anger that would have been there would have been righteous anger. But can you imagine doing that for 40 years? And so essentially, the author here of Hebrews is saying, hey, I know you know this story. I know you know these guys in this story. I know uh, you have memorized this. I know you know it really well. Well, guess what? This is what they did. And in a sense, what is he telling them? You don't do this, Right? You need to hold firm to what you originally believed. Think about that time that you made a profession of faith in your life, that original confidence that you had in Christ. That's what you need to go back to and be reminded of and hold fast to that. That's what he's saying here. And he's giving them examples of people and stories that they would have known very well about. And he's saying, don't do that. Especially not provoking God for 40 years. And notice here in verse 18, it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. A thing that we see happening throughout the scriptures is that unbelief and disobedience, they go hand and hand. A lot of times they are switched out one for the other throughout the scriptures. If you have an unbelieving heart, guess what you're going to do? You're going to disobey. But then on the opposite, another thing that we see going hand in hand is what? Obedience and what? Belief. Those are switched out numerous times within the scriptures. If you believe, then you are going to what? Obey. Now think about that for a second in the garden, right? What does that tell us about the heart of Adam and Eve? They didn't truly believe. They had an unbelieving heart. That's why they did what? They ate from that tree, right? They let their pride get the best of them, right? I got this. I don't need you, God. And the thing is, is that unbelieving heart, that evil unbelieving heart, what can it do to you? It can lead you to fall away from what? The living God. That's why we need the exhortation, right? That's why we need to come alongside others. That's why we need to turn if we are struggling with that sin and repent, right? Are you persevering to the end? And an evidence of it is what? Of the faith is what? Perseverance. So take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you away to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another daily, every day, while you have the opportunity. So that we can be partakers because we are partakers in Christ. Right? Are you persevering in the faith? Guess what? 
Something that I know and something that I know is true is that trials and tribulations, they will come. If you ever hear, if you ever hear a pastor get up here and tell you that that's not the case, then we don't need him to be pastor on the stage because they're going to come even as Christians. It's going to happen, but they become what? A testing of our faith. What do they do? Well, one, it says in James that we should consider them pure joy, but also they ultimately end up growing us in our faith. But what happens sometimes is that when that testing of faith comes, which I'm sure is probably what happened in that person's life that I was talking about earlier, they ended up, instead of standing firm in that test of their faith, what did they do? They walked away. Why? Because they weren't truly followers of Jesus Christ. So when that hard time comes in your life, and it will come, are you going to stand on the promises of Jesus Christ Or are you going to sink in the quicksand of deceitfulness of sin? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for today, God. I thank you so much, God, for each and every person in this room, Lord. And I just pray, God, that they are holding firm to the end. Lord, we know that tough times will come. We know, God, that we need to continue to stand firm if indeed, Lord, we truly believe you and who you are. And so, God, help us to hold fast to that, Lord. Help us, God, to continue to exhort, to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to know, God, that you are God and that you are good. And, Lord, I pray that we can begin to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can lift their heads up from that pig slop, God, and we can point them to your Son, Jesus Christ, who is so much greater than what they were eating on, God. May they continue to feast in your house, God, in your house daily. May they love you more than anything else in this world, God, and may, God, they realize how much they need you. And Lord, I pray that those people that are in this church, God, whose hearts may be wayward, God, that you would draw them to yourself, God, and they would respond to you through faith and repentance, Lord, and that they would stop doing the things for themselves, God, but they would start doing the things for you and for your glory. Lord, we pray this in your Son's precious name, through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Amen.